Good morning. Uh, it's great to be here with you guys um, as we just continue to worship our Lord. And hopefully you see and experience um, this is a church family. So when the church gathers, right, we're here to glorify God together with our brothers and sisters. And we, uh, we take that to heart. We take that serious. We believe it's sacred. It's beautiful. Um, you know, this would be just like um, being in my living room or your living room is just a big living room. And we've got some lights and a microphone, and there's just that way we can all be together. Um, but it's really not something that we're meaning to, to hype up or, or make look different than what it is. It is sacred, but it's very personable, right? This is, this is a church family. And in our service, the services we have, we call them equipping services, okay? And so... Um, this is this is a believer service. We're going to talk about things of Jesus. We're gonna we're gonna go deep on some things. Um, if you're not a Christian, you are welcome here. Um, but you might have after this sermon, uh, you might have some questions, and we encourage you uh, to find the person that brought you or find one of the people in the back at the end of the service. And if you do have questions, we encourage you to en- engage in those. Um, but the audience is going to be for believers this morning. Um, and we're going to be in Matthew nine fourteen through 17. So read that with me as we look into the gospel of Matthew. It says, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Let us pray. Father God, um, man, thank you that we get to meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that you've created this family that carries the gospel of Jesus Christ, and therefore we get to experience the good news of Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to us as we look at the sacred text of the Bible. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your truth, and we thank you because your promises are true that you are here in our midst. God, do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. And I do apologize if, if I end up coughing a little bit. I was sick about a month ago, and if you guys have been sick with different stuff, that cough kind of lingers, right? So, yeah, and, and I also might get a cramp in my side. Anyone experience that? Okay, just me. Well, we'll just go on. Too much information. Okay, so we're going to look in this in two parts. And the, and the first part comes from the question um, of how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not fast? Okay, and from this, we're going we're gonna to look at this just like last week, right? Jesus um, is dealing with some questions from the religious people in his community. So we're going to look at this from the point of the religious spirit, okay? Now, the religious spirit is something that is alive and well in Springfield, Missouri, correct? Right? It, it is here, okay? Why is, why is it here, this religious spirit? Okay, it's all about the do's and don'ts, not about the grace, love, and sovereignty of Jesus Christ, right? That, that's why religion could be such a bad thing. Why is it such a big thing here in Springfield? And, and if you grew up here, you've experienced it. 
but you also might not be aware that it, it really is almost like a special Kool-Aid here in Springfield, Missouri. Okay? And I believe that's because God has a lot of promises for this city. Right? And you've got different denominations, which is, which is good, in this same city, but we serve the same king. We have the same baptism, the same Bible. But Christians in this city don't always like each other. And that goes against the commands of God. Why does the enemy work in that way? Because God promises when my people come together out of obedience to the word of God and through the spirit of God, watch what I'll do. So Satan loves, the, our, our, our enemy loves, like, man, if I can just trip them up, if I can, man, they're, they're not going to obey and follow Christ. That's why there is such a religious spirit here. And all my friends that either, like, grew up here, moved away, they're like, man, I love Springfield, but it has its own special Kool-Aid, and it's called religion. And it's a religious spirit. And we, we see this with Jesus in this question, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, it's John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees coming up and saying, why don't you fast like we do? Right? This is a very religious question. Before we get to some of that, I want to look at just fasting. Okay, where, where do we find fasting in Scripture? And one of the first places you'll see it in, is in Exodus 34, 28. Where it says, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water, and he wrote on the t- tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Okay, so that's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have Luke 2, 36 to 37. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, the daughter of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Now look at Acts 14, 23. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for, for them in each church, and then with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So we see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, and there's many other verses than this, that the, the common practice in the Old Testament and in the New Testament was fasting and prayer. Right? And what they would do is they would fast food. We understand that we don't always just have to fast food. In fact, some of us, if we have an issue with some food, I would encourage you to seek a pastor, get some counseling on it. Like if, like if not having food is an issue for you, like you're, you're, you're like, you know what I'm talking, there's a sickness in that, right? Maybe it could be coffee. Maybe it could be social media. But, there, but it's used as this declaration to say, this body doesn't own me. Right, And it's used throughout Scripture as a way for us to say, man, God, I just want to draw closer to you, and I'm rebuking this flesh. I'm rebuking even good things like food. Food is good, amen. Right? I was actually just talking to Quinlan and Josh up here before I preached, and I said, I really just want a cheeseburger. It's like, maybe I'll just, Josh was like, you just need to pull one up as you're preaching, like mid-break, like, like food is good. Right? So we, we, we say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to partake in this food for this time, because I just want to put my focus on Jesus, even, even the good stuff. In fact, Paul says, husbands and wives, like romantic activity, stop doing that for a little bit to go fast and pray and then come back together. You can Google romantic activity on your own. 
This is to draw close to God, yes. But for the New Testament believer, listen to this, it's not used for manip- manipulation to God. Okay? Do we understand? We, we, we see Moses fasted for 40 days. Jesus fo- uh, uh, fasted for 40 days. This is a very good sacred practice. We encourage you uh, to st- start to do it. And if you don't know uh, more about it, ask questions um, from someone that you know. Right? It's, it's a, just like prayer, prayer and fasting. They go together. Peanut butter and jelly. Like they go together. It's a really good thing to do, not to manip- manipulate God. Right? On, on, you know, I'm going to outdo you. I'm going to do a 50-day fast. Right? No. That's not how it works. Do we understand that? This is just to honor God and say, man, everything that I have is yours. Right? So Jesus isn't doing this very good thing. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that, why Jesus isn't. But right now we want to look at the fact that this very good thing that Jesus isn't doing, last week it was the Pharisees alone. They were the religious leaders that didn't like Jesus. Now it's John the Baptist's. It's his people. And they've called out Jesus before on some things. When, when, his, when his believers and followers were baptizing more people, now it's fasting. And they, they've joined up with the Pharisees. This is a hurtful thing. If you've dealt with church hurt before, raise your hand, right? People of God have hurt you. Well, guess who else has been hurt by the people of God? Jesus. You're in good company. Guess what? You've all hurt someone too, right? If you've ever hurt someone in church on purpose or on accident, raise your hand, right? Right there. Sorry about that noise there. So this spirit of religion is a big deal. And one of the things we're going to talk about in this part is just church hurt. Church hurt is, is all across the world. Why? Because we're humans. And also because the enemy knows that God's commands are real. And when God's people take unity serious, watch out. Watch out the outpouring that God will do. Again, we're also in Springfield, Missouri, and there's kind of that special Kool-Aid. Church hurt's a big deal. And one of the things that we've found throughout the years at this church, it's just something the Lord's blessed us in. There's a lot of healing that takes place that people, we don't want to be religious here. Right? We want to be serious about God, but not religious. Right? And we find that there is a niche to the Holy Spirit where people come, maybe they're burnt by church, and they come here, and the Lord starts to heal them of that hurt. Right? Do we, do we understand, if I'm going to love God and follow God, you know who... Loves the church? Jesus. He absolutely adores the body of Christ. And it's one of the saddest things that we see in the Western world right now, especially in the last two years. Believers, I love Jesus, but not the church. Like, ouch. They don't go together. Our Savior, our Lord, loved, loves the church. Religion is a crazy thing. Abraham Lincoln said this, when I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. That's my religion. Why would I put that up there? Because that's kind of the world's religion. Right? It's, there's, when I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. And some of us, it's, you, you're your own God. Feels good, do it. If it doesn't, don't. If you're not hurting them, that's not, that's not the word of God. 
Right? Religion is a crazy, crazy thing. We do not want to be people that are religious. We want to be people that are in right relationship with God. But if you want to see a definition of religion, you can look at James 1, 26 and 27. It says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, ouch, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So in there in James, you see like, like how we talk to one another. That's what James is getting at. How we talk about people, it matters. It matters. Our meeting together following God produces a fruit that we, we care about the orphans and widows and we do something about it. You can't do something about it if we're not walking with Jesus first. And then there is this, we realize this polluting by the world that there's such a thing as sin and redemption. So we're going to talk about that in the church. Church hurt is a big deal, but so is church unity. When Jesus was asked the two greatest commandments. He said, love God, love people. And we believe to do that on purpose. And this is something that this church wants to continue to grow on because we want to be clever, because we want to be, you know, upfront things. No, because it's biblical. My background growing up was not in a Christian church. Um, and that, that church really use, uses today the disunity of the Christian church for its advantage. And I hope we hear that. Love God, love people, and especially the people of God. They are your brothers and sisters. It's one of the reasons why we have two, the two-pastor model, right? Not every church is supposed to do it. It's just something God has called us to do it to help with that problem, to help with loneliness, to help with accountability. It's, it's wonderful in the teaching prep. It's also really hard to idolize a pastor if, if, he's, the, it's, it's, if he's not the only one. Right? And it's something we really work hard on. And I thank God by the years ministering with Pastor Clint. And now I'm very thankful for the years that we're going to have together um, pastoring and ministering with Pastor Michael. Um, and what I love, and we didn't do this on purpose, it's just God. Um, my, my licensing and my ordination is, is with the Southern Baptist. Michael's licensing and ordination is with the Assembly of God. And we get along well. Right? Some people are like, what? Two pastors? No. And then like, what? One has a, in our theology, right? It's really close. There's so much we're missing when we let the world decide what God said should come together. Right? And again, Springfield has its own special cool. I remember 27 years ago, um, way before I knew I was going to be called into ministry, my pastor... Um, Pastor Jim, and I was at New Life Assembly of God, and before uh, me and my buddy Aaron was uh, going to school here, um, he said, man, Springfield, Missouri, that's the one place I would never pastor. And little did you know, like so many years later, I would. And I'm called to this city because I believe God has great things for this city. But we must see the attack of the enemy. But we also need to see the promises of God. And it starts in your own family, and then it starts in your church family, and then it starts in the city. 
Disunity gives fuel to the fire of the enemy. Don't engage. And people will often, even in this church, will ask me, how do you handle all the questions and meanness in the church as a pastor? Because we get a lot of it. And my answer always is this, is well, I believe in the Word of God. I believe in my calling, and I really love the church. Truly, the church, whether I've been in Walla Walla, Washington, or Springfield, Missouri, has always been my family. Not because I'm a pastor, because it's a promise of God. And we encourage you to engage in that way. That person on your left, person on your right, brother, sister. Right? It's family. I will never give up on my mom and dad. I will never give up on my brothers and sisters. Well, the same thing for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Church hurt. With church hurt, you have to deal with forgiveness because it's a command from God, but then also hope for reconciliation. George Barna says this when he's talking about church hurt. In the midst of emotional and spiritual upset that occurs when a church hurts or disappoints us, we tend to lose sight of the fact that the local church is merely a collection of people on a challenging journey, a group of people that are involved in a long-term transformation process. So we are saved at the cross. You can't, don't get more saved, but you do grow in maturity. If, 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 raise your hand if you're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've grown hopefully since last week or 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. You're not the same person, right? And we're all in that same boat. Perfect God, imperfect people, right? And if you find the perfect church, I always heard this from my pastor, don't go there because you'll ruin it, right? I don't know if that was direct towards me or what, but I said that all the time. Three things I want to look at real quick when we're talking about church hurt. And again, that Jesus is, he's walking as the Messiah. They don't completely understand who he is. He's walking in great understanding and authority of the Word of God because he wrote it. He has authority over the wind, over demons, and the forgiveness of sins. He's showing that. We, we just went through all of that. And then they come in, why aren't you more like us? Right? How crazy the spirit of religion is. Comparison. Comparison can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing, right? I look at different people, what God's doing in their life, and, and, and I'm like, man, Lord, how, how can I be more like that? How can I grow in that? Someone gets a new house, I'm like, praise God. That's awesome. Maybe I'll get a new house. Maybe I won't, right? Comparison can be a good thing. It can also be a really bad thing, right? It's one of the tactics the enemy uses, and this is what's happening to Jesus. Why aren't you more like us? I remember years ago, um, being um, in college, this is what I'm in Washington, it was a very intense spiritual time, and we went away for the spiritual retreat, and, and there was a guy there speaking to us, and he had words of knowledge and, and prophecy for each of us, and for, for, one, for one of the guys in there, he was like, man, you are called into ministry, and he started praying over him, and the guy's like, well, I don't think I'm called into ministry, I don't know what you're talking about, and that word was for me, and I remember sitting back there. As I was Mr., you know, I thought I was, Mr. Cool, football player. And so they're like, this guy's not called to ministry. You see how comparison, and I remember being like, well, maybe, like I knew that was a call for me. But I'm like, man, and a lot of this was my own fault. 
they're not going to think it's me. See how that comparison thing can really cause a division between you and God and your calling and the things he has for you? Some of us have said, well, my life, man, I'm just not good enough to follow God. That's, well, read your Bible. That's, that's all of us. Or maybe I don't have certain gifts, I don't have this, or I just don't seem to have my act together. Man, if you think you have your act together and that's a calling to ministry, don't have a calling to ministry. Almost every person in the Bible is like, hey, God, maybe you want to pick somebody else. Competition. Competition, for those of you athletes out there, know that it can be a good thing, a challenging thing. It can also be a very dangerous thing. Watch out for comparison in an unhealthy way. Watch out for competition in an unhealthy way. I'm encouraged by the things that I hear in the lives of people in this church. For some of us, it becomes a competition that you're either always trying to outdo someone in an unhealthy way or you feel like you'll never measure up. And too many churches are built this way. I remember as a youth pastor, a guy in our church was getting ready to plant a, plant a church and he went to Cameron and I um, and he really wanted Cameron to go with him. If you let me guys raise your hand, remember Cameron? Right? He really wanted Cameron to go with him because Cameron can sing and lead worship like crazy. And I think he thought we were a package deal, so he'd like try to get me too. And I remember he was like, it's going to take guys like us to really do church right. And right there I was like, nope, not being part of that church plan. Like one of the things 15 years ago when we planted this church, and this actually came from Cameron, he's like, man, we're not starting anything new we're not starting anything better. This is the sacred church that it's always been. Some of the practices might be a little bit different, but it's the same gospel. It's the same message. It's the same spirit. We have to be careful. Like Satan loves to take good things like church planning or ministry and turn it into a competition so you can say, well, yeah, this is for God, but really in your heart, you're like, I hope they notice me. Do we get that? And then the other thing is, Personal conviction versus conviction for everyone. That can, that can lead to a lot of church hurt. And what I mean by that is there are certain things. Some of you might, such as myself, be convicted not to drink alcohol. I bring this up because we're talking about wine today. And their time, they had, you know, they had wine that, that went through a process, and we're going to talk more about this, but it started out as grape juice, and then it fermented to wine. And Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding, and they bring out the good stuff. I don't know what your interpretation says right there, right? I have friends like, no, it was grape juice. And they say it was the good stuff. I think it was, right? There's a reason why Paul says, don't drink too much of it, right? So some of us... Like myself in here, and just from my family background, we don't drink alcohol in my house, and I hope my kids don't, because we have a lineage of family members before us that have had a problem with it, a major problem with it. So Holy Spirit actually spoke to me when I was 12 years old and was getting drunk the weekend before. West Coast 7th graders are different maybe than, than Ozark 7th graders, I don't know. And that next weekend, I was going to do it again. The Holy Spirit said, nope, and don't ever do it again. And I said, okay. Because God manifested himself in a way that I was like, yep. So that's a conviction that I have. But some of us have a, have a conviction to do it. 
which is biblical. But what we can all agree on, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. The Bible's very clear. Do we understand that? But I've seen in churches, and maybe you've raised this way, maybe this person, this guy holding the mic has this conviction, and everyone has to have the same conviction as me. And then people read their Bibles, and they go, whoa, that doesn't work. Watch out for comparison. Watch out for competition. And know the difference between your personal conviction and conviction for everybody else. And I would say this, too. When you see people maybe in sin or in question, unless they're in your inner circle, be nice. Even if they're in your inner circle, be nice, right? And it's never worked out well for me in times of my stumbling um, someone was just super mean about stuff. Doesn't mean you can't be bold. Let's walk with the grace of Jesus. Okay, the second thing we want to look at in the time that we have is new wine. So, disciples of John the Baptist are coming, hey, why, you know, we, us and the Pharisees, why don't you fast like us? And Jesus tells them in verse 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And again, Jesus is talking about the whole process they did. A lot of their, their water, just like today, is contaminated. They only had so many fresh springs. So they had to have wine. Sometimes it was grape juice. Sometimes it was legit fermented alcoholic wine. And it was just a part of their process. So Jesus gives them, he just right there, tells them two things. The bride is with the bridegroom. So he's telling them something that's pretty amazing about himself on who he is. And then he gives them this analogy of a wineskin and and new wine. Because that wine would ferment and expand, and so if that old wineskin could not take the new wineskin. So Jesus is talking about the gospel that he is bringing in, and he's using their terms that they would understand. I love Jesus' response to these guys. They, they think they've tripped him up. We have a very clever Savior, right? They think... You know, like, oh, why aren't you more like us? Because you know we're supposed to be fasting and praying. And he gives them this analogy of wineskin. Like, and I'm sure they're like, what's this? Why is he talking about wine right now? I'm talking about fasting. Jesus is talking about wine. They think he's not making sense, but really he is. The hard-hearted always feel like God is distant. And the Bible doesn't make sense. Maybe you struggled this with yourself. Like, where is God? I've questioned that. As a believer and as an unbeliever. God, where are you? But when he manifests himself, like he does all the time, it's such a silly question. And Jesus talked in riddles that weren't really riddles. They just didn't know who he was as the Messiah. He's telling them, guys, there's a new covenant coming. These guys don't need to fast because they can't get any closer to God than they already are. They'll fast later on. They don't need to now because they're walking with God. Even the the apostles and disciples wouldn't know that until much later. But I I love just how obvious God is. 
Romans 1.20 says that he has clearly shown himself throughout time. And actually says the whole world is held without excuse. I don't know how that completely works. I'm not the judge of how that works, but I believe in the word of God. I mean, some would say with that atheist mindset, again, where is God? And I don't know if they've looked at the sun, the moon, <laughs> the tilt of the earth, the seasons. Like, yeah, I guess that all just happened. God has made himself so plain. And he does to these guys, too. He's talking about the gospel. He's telling the Jews who, who think they're so holy, like, you need saving and he's going to tell the Gentiles, too, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And we know that there's a fight later on between, between um, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Because the Jews that are Christians are saying, well, the Christians need to be more like us. And Paul, like, tears that argument apart. He's like, you all needed saving through the blood of the Lamb. And when he's talking about this new wine and this new wineskin, we, we see what he's talking about in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And Jesus tells them, I'm not abolishing the law of the Old Testament. I'm fulfilling it. As you, later on, we'll understand the gospel, this new covenant. It's no longer just about the rules and the do's and don'ts and trying to clean myself. It is coming to a Savior that can clean me and forgive me. Like There's nothing more, and I'll say this again and again and again, there's nothing more supernatural than the power of the cross. Through my mind, my spirit, your mind, your spirit, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on a cross for our sins. He rose on the third day. We believe that we are saved, but we also know there's something way more supernatural happening than what I, the words coming out of my mouth. That the gospel changes you. And I believe in, and for you theologians out there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he is part of the Godhead. And the power that comes through the Holy Spirit is absolutely amazing. And it takes us to this place that I hope that you've experienced. And, I'm, and I want to look at three verses. The first one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And some of us need to be reminded of that today for yourself. And then some of us need to be reminded of that for other people, like the lens that you look at people. We shouldn't be surprised when there's not transformation. We should be surprised when there isn't. Psalms 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is Old Testament. God's always been about the covenant of Christ. Do we understand that? 
that when we come to the cross, when we come to that new wine, that new wine skin, that new creation, it's something that so saddens me sometimes in the church where we become this hospital of old fuddy-duddies and, 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 we, and we, we don't realize the beautiful messiness of God working through his people where they mature, where they were once lost but now they're found. We try to, like what, like what Pastor Michael talked about last week, we try to clean them up before they come in. That's not how it works. And we do that because we walk in the spirit of religion and we don't believe in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to be reminded ourselves. God changes people in his time and in his place. Be patient in that. And in Psalms 51.10, this is from King David. After he committed adultery and cover-up and murder, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There's power at the cross, my friends, for you, for me, and for all who call upon the name of the Lord. I am a Christian, but I still stumble. And maybe, maybe that's your question today. Like, man, I'm just, or, or maybe you're seeing other people. We're always so hard on other people. I'm a Christian. Why are they doing this? I'm a Christian. Why am I doing this? Well, you know, the verse that we're looking at today is talking about new wineskin. Like, the, they're acting like the old wineskin. Why does that happen? And again, I'm talking about church hurt. Like, wait, 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 wait. They're supposed to be the best. I remember asking a pastor that at one point. I was like, man, why does the world treat people better than the church? And he had a good and bad answer. The good answer was like, they're humans. The bad answer is that he stopped believing that we can grow and be better. Never look at when the church has hurt you or people have hurt you and just go, well, that's just how it's going to be. No. Praise God for that. For my marriage, for my kids, for the church. Like, we can always, like, oh, let's just get more like Jesus. But we don't give up on people because God doesn't. Not if, not if they're in Christ. So I'm a Christian, but I still stumble. Well, are you stumbling because you're human, you're growing? That's all of us. And I'm not taking lightly sin, and I'm not taking lightly stumbling. But know the difference. There's been times, even as a pastor, I'm like, oh, why did I do that while well, I'm driving? Why did I say that to somebody? Some of the things that come out of my mouth, I'm thankful I'm alone. Almost tripped right there. But God's not done with me yet. I'm human, and so are you. Are you stumbling because you need help? Some of us have addictions and stuff we're dealing with as saved people. And sometimes the church, or maybe even yourself, we're just like, no, that's just too messy. Someone else can deal with that. Right? I mean, can you imagine if we're a family? Can you imagine as a parent, if you're, you know, you're as for their potty trained, just like, well, let's clean yourself up. We wouldn't do that, right? DFS would be called. Are you stumbling because you just need help? And that's great thing in the church that we would help one another and I'm convinced sometimes we walk in a religious spirit and we're mean when we need to be kind you know you can be kind and tell the truth to people you can be kind 
and not even give a time of correction because it's just not what the Holy Spirit's wanting. You just help clean up the mess. Other question, are you stumbling because Jesus isn't your Lord? There is that, that third question that some of us have to wrestle with. You're stumbling because you don't believe in any things that Jesus says to do. And that new wine and that new wineskin, you're like, Jesus is king and he's Lord, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if he says it's bad and it's going to hurt me, I believe him. And some of us, it's like, you just, you don't believe in Jesus as Lord and you don't believe in the word of God and so you don't believe in any things he says. And I don't say that to make fun of you or to make you feel bad, but I would encourage you, like, you need to wrestle with that. Romans 6 12 through 23 says it best. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as though who have been, those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of the body to him as instruments of righteousness, For sin shall not be your master. That's a declaration, amen? For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? So we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. The Word of God always says things way better than any pastor could. Taste and see and know that he is good. Knowledge versus relationship. So some of us in that new wineskin and that new wine, man, you go up in Springfield, Missouri, who doesn't, who doesn't know or have heard about God in some way? You have knowledge of God, but do you know God? And some of us, you just haven't stopped and just tasted and seen how good he is how sovereign he is. Man, when people are reading the word of God or maybe they, they, they've said they've experienced his presence and if they're not like more loving because he is loving, I don't know if they've experienced God. But on the flip side of that, I don't know, has God ever disciplined you before? I'm like, man, he could take me out at any time. <laughs> That's why it's so good. You're like, man, I, okay, Lord, <laughs> Right? Like, it's this understanding, like, he doesn't stop being those. And I think some, I'm like, I don't know if, you haven't, if you've been in the Word of God or the presence of God because you, you act like he's, he, that you can just do whatever you want. Or that you act like that he's not sovereign or that he's not loving. He is all those at once. Taste and see. Because it's a promise, if you're a believer, it's a promise that you can walk into. Some of us just need to remember the old gospel to repent and just come to Jesus. Stop trying to figure everything out and just come to Jesus and let him figure you out. That's what he does best. It's not the church's job to always do it. It's not people's. People cannot fix you, but Jesus can because he loves you. Taste and see. And then end on this, Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how great this covenant is. You can't outrun the love of God. You can't outrun the calling. You just can't. 
but there is surrender. And then those chaotic thing is for someone that believes Jesus is Lord, but they don't treat Jesus as he's Lord. It's why out of in love, Jesus, Jesus says in the Bible that I will spew you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. He's like, I want you, like, he's no lukewarm, you're hot or cold. Because he knows the lukewarm is the most dangerous place for you. And for some of us, like that spirit of religion has come in. And you've let the enemy tell you that God wants nothing to do with you. And the enemy is a liar. God wants so much to do with you that he gave his only son to die on a cross so that you could have this new wine and this new wine skin. Three questions as we close. Do you need healing from being hurt by your brothers and sisters in Christ? And I chose those words on purpose. Do you need help and healing from being hurt by your brothers and sisters in Christ? Stop saying them. Stop saying that institution. Stop saying those men in that room. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. That might make the hurt even more. That made the conviction and belief in the new wineskin and the new heart that King David said, give me a new heart, a new outlook, a new mind. And there are too many times, right, we're going to hurt each other. But when you're hurt, don't stay there. Don't isolate. Don't let the enemy put a foothold on your heart. Number two, do you need healing from the spirit of religion? Do you need healing? And then number three, do you need a new wineskin? And for some, maybe it's, it's the first time salvation. It's like, man, he's, someone brought me here and you're talking about this Jesus, but I don't know if I know this Jesus or I don't know if I know Jesus the way you're talking about Jesus. How kind and how good and how sovereign and how wonderful. For some of us, it's just that, that rededication in our life. We're like, man, I've... I've been walking in a way where Jesus is distant. I'm saved. I know him, but I haven't been walking as if I know him. Well, come back to the cross. There's nothing more supernatural than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were once dead, and now we're alive. Like, I believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in the one day of the physical resurrection of all believers. What about the spiritual resurrection that happens on a daily basis? Does that trip our trigger? Right? You guys can stand and close in prayer. People in the back that would love to pray with you as you seek our Lord and Savior who is alive and well today. And because of Jesus, the name of Jesus, he hears your prayers. Let's pray. Follow God. gospel is so good. Your plans are so good. Father, I pray in Jesus' name in, in this church body, individually and corporately. We'd stop letting church hurt be what we focus on. 
Father, that we would, as a, as a church, individually and corporately, just make a stand in the name of Jesus, that we will understand the importance of the sacred body of Christ, and we will better, be better stewards of it. So we'll walk in greater forgiveness, and we'll walk in greater grace for one another, greater hospitality for one another, We'll, by the name of Jesus, be more aware when we turn our back on people that need our grace because we're your hands and feet that need our love and our attention. Forgive us when we're too busy or too unaware. Father, not just those in this room, but in our city, heal us of the spirit of religion that is over this city. And it's an attack of the enemy because Satan knows what will happen when this church and this city absolutely decides to listen to your word and walk out in it. Those are our brothers and sisters at that other church. They believe in the gospel and the resurrected Jesus and the word of God. Those are our brothers and sisters. And would we speak of them that way and treat them that way? And Father, would we be reminded that none of us have outrun the new wine that you offer or the new wineskin. Your grace is always there if we would just take it. Holy Spirit, move among your people.